0: When is it tempting to compromise? To compromise on what is true, to move the line perhaps a little bit on what is acceptable, to change the definition of sin, at least in your mind, to accommodate an action. Is it in the office when there's a slight tension between who you are as a Christian And how you are expected to act to complete a project or make a sale or appease a customer or follow a protocol. A little white lie over here, an underrepresented truth here, an unrevealed blemish over there. Is it with friends or neighbors who have a very different standard of what is acceptable? The friend who points out the lady and says, oh, get a look at that. A second, third, fourth. Don't even look away. Just, just feast on that for a bit. Or the party that has gone from maybe enjoying a beverage to just straight up debauchery. What is going on here? Is it with your peers when the, the conversation turns towards definitions of truth? And it is obvious that they are not, we do not share definitions about what is good and beautiful and true, what it means to be human and have dignity given by God, how marriage should look, how sex should be practiced. And the temptation sits in, if I could just act a little more like them or look a little more like them, this would be easier. Often, ours are subtle temptations, a slight push or barrier that invites a capitulation for a little bit of safety, a little bit of comfort, a hushed reminder that this is not your home and you can make a little change to be more comfortable here. A little change and then another and another and another. Ours is a soft exile. It is not blatant. We do not face danger every day, but it is known that we belong to a different home. A different kingdom. This is not our kingdom. This is not our ultimate citizenship. But when we allow, allow our eyes to drift, the temptation to walk differently persistently presents itself. Turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing to walk through this letter which was written by Peter to the exiled Christians throughout Asia Minor. Mere decades after the resurrection of Jesus, they are objective exiles. A people who felt not at home in their surroundings, believing and knowing something different than the people around them. Called to a life informed by a God that is not worshipped by the people around them. With threat of ostracization and danger, a constant in their lives. And because of that constant, the invitation to compromise and modify, to fit in and avoid pain or rejection was persistent. That is why Peter writes this letter. He writes this letter to them because all day the temptation is compromise and capitulation. And it is easy to compromise when your hope is not set. We do not sit in the same type of gravity of understanding of our exile. But we share the identity of the recipients of this letter. Ours is a subtle exile when many of our family, of the family of Christians have an explicit exile. Our brothers and sisters in China have an explicit exile. Our family in Africa has an explicit exile. Our family in Syria has an explicit exile. A constant temptation to compromise for the sake of comfort, for the sake of safety, for the sake of life. For them, they need little context added to hear this letter and need this letter. We need some reminding. We need to be reminded that perhaps our way of living is a little diluted because we are not living out of our identity. We make little compromises for the sake of fitting in and they reveal the fact that we are not living out of our hope. Ours has been a generally comfortable existence. Living in a culture molded around some of the basics of a Christianity informed understanding of the world. That's that's where we live. So we could walk around without needing to be explicit on our hope, to be obvious on our hope. Our current home could look good enough. We didn't think we had to share a mindset with our brothers and sisters around the world because it's not that uncomfortable here. In the last week, there has been a subtle temptation to compromise. Perhaps you saw the latest release of data on religion in America from Pew Research. The data says that people who call themselves Christians in America... In the last 10 years, from 2009 to 2019, has decreased by about 11-12%. And those who are affiliated to no religion at all has increased by about 10%. And here there is a temptation. The church can read these numbers and become frantic and think, we need to change our marketing, we need to change our appeal, we need to add more programs, we need to tweak our message just a little bit so we can be more inviting. We need to shift the definition of truth so it is a little less abrasive. When in reality, this is just a data point that shows us that our complacent, comfortable environment may be slipping away and that that is all the more reason to listen to the words of this letter. The answer is not compromise. Our call in exile is to set our hope to walk holy, empowered and changed because of the good news. This morning, Peter writes to remind us that faithful exiles are a firmly hopeful and thus distinctly holy people. A firmly hopeful and thus a distinctly holy people. Let's pick up in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember from last week, all the talk of the good news of which we are a part, the good news that has been talked about long before by the prophets, but now the angels are longing to peer into that which we are included. You can see Scott doing this, right? The whole time. That's that's, the sermon. The angels want to see what's going on. We are part of a story that that is that good. Peter continues from there and says, in light of that great news, in light of how awesome our status is, be sharp. Peter has a single command here. Set your hope. Set your hope fully. But the way that hope is set involves the mind. Sober minded. Be clear in your thinking and preparing your minds for action. That is the way it's translated into English for the ESV. But in in the Greek, it's gird the loins of your mind. I love that. Back Back in the day, Peter's time, You'd wear a robe or a tunic of some sort. And if a guy wanted to get ready for battle, if a guy wanted to work, he would have to wrap up his tunic in a way around his legs that he could tuck it into his belt. Now you're ready for work. Now you're ready for action. Your legs can move around. You can run. You're agile. You're ready to go. It's like our rolling up our sleeves. It's time to get some work done. We roll up our sleeves. We're now ready to engage work. We're now ready for action. We can do something. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get your mind in a state that is ready for action. Wake up and be alert. Ready for the setting of your hope. And then Peter dials into the imperative, into this command. In light of the good news you are a part of, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Hope is not a word to describe a pie-in-the-sky mentality. We often use the word in our context to describe a bit of wishing, a bit of positive mentality, something that might come about. I hope that will happen. We hope in things that may happen. That is not the Bible's use of the word. Hope is a firm expectation, a knowing confidence that brings encouragement and ability to walk forward. Set your hope, set your confidence and your expectation on what? On the grace that will be brought to you. This is all based on this therefore, on the therefore that the angels are looking into a story that you are a part of. Because we belong to the story that Jesus started by his resurrection. Because we have been included in the grace that God offers through the work of Jesus. We have a grace on which we can pin our hope. We have future grace that will most assuredly be given to us. If you are in Christ, if you love the gospel, if you follow Jesus, this future grace is yours. It is a certainty. That story that the angels want to see, that stuff that is happening in the present, the church being formed, people being saved because of Jesus. All of these present realities are reason to be certain that the grace is also coming for you in the future. The grace we experience is not limited to what happened for us in the past on the cross or what is happening to us now in the present amongst God's people. We have grace that is coming for us that will be brought to us in the future. Because of that certainty, you have every reason to be longing, to be in anticipation for the revelation of Jesus. The revealing of Jesus. The return of Jesus. That word in the Greek is the apocalypse of Jesus. The making obviously clear final revealing of Jesus. That's the apocalypse. Because the past grace of his death and resurrection is a guarantee for the future grace when he returns. An imperishable inheritance. Those are the words Peter has already used. Unmitigated access to relationship with God. Don't you want that? Living and breathing in new creation, no longer broken creation, amended creation, a restored creation, new heavens and new earth, God and man together in relationship as they should be. That is the future grace we're waiting for. So stay sharp. Gird up the loins of your mind. Roll up your sleeves and ponder that complacency is not an option. Your hope is too secure and too fantastic to sit back and go with the flow. To live in a way that does not fully acknowledge your hope, your certain and confident expectation. Set your hope fully on that grace, on Jesus' return. But the question remains, how do I set my hope? How do I fully set my hope? Obviously, it starts with my mind. Because from my mind begin my actions. So let's have minds ready for action and sober, alert, ready to go. But how else do I set my hope? Peter continues. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. (coughs) As obedient children, before we go any further... Let me point out that our identity comes first and then our actions. It is too easy to forget in this type of passage that Peter is talking to children, children of the living God, fellow heirs with Christ. We are not talking today about a list of actions that when faithfully executed, reserves the right to be considered people who deserve an inheritance. We are first and foremost saying, if you have been changed by God, And what he is doing in the world, you are one who has an inheritance assured, secured, certain. You are in the family. You are a child. And if you are in the family, set your life to family things. I don't gain family status by trying to look like the family. I walk with the family because I am in the family. I walk differently. I am conformed to a different pattern, a family pattern. This is why Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Who has old passions? You don't have to raise your hand. I know it's a weird question. Who has old ways of walking? Who has old ruts? And who knows that they were ignorant? Ignorant ways. There are dumb ways to walk. There are ways that hurt you and encumber you. They trip you up and blind you to truth. Some of you know now know truth, and the more truth you know, the easier it is to see that those old ways are ignorant ways. Leaning into the bottle or to the pills to medicate the emotions of life, that's not a good way to go. Taking pursuit of dollar or success and making that a God, bending your life around it, bending your life to that end, it's ignorant. Hurtful ways to speak to your neighbor or your family, relating to people not out of love, but malice for your own gain, not theirs. Ignorant. Some take the magnificent gift of sex and twist it so it is broken and use it as a drug devoid of the wonderful picture it was meant to reveal. Ignorance. And these old former passions, they have little... Ruts in your mind. Whatever your thing was, whatever your passion was, there's a little rut in your mind. And if you have not rolled up your sleeve and fully set your hope, it is all too easy to be conformed back to the old ways. The old affections. The old ways of dealing with life. The old passions. The old ignorance. And it sneaks up on you. You put the truth out of your mind for a couple of days. You miss a gathering of the church or, or the smaller gathering of the life group with those who are also setting their hope. And then you hit a hard week, a stressful week, an emotionally draining week. And you go into fight or flight mode. And because you haven't been setting your hope based on your identity, you begin to be conformed by your former ignorance. I know what, I know what to do in this situation. I'll, I'll go this way. Don't walk that way. Why? It's ignorant. It's ignorant. There is no good that comes from the old ways. And it is to live in a way that does not acknowledge that the future grace is coming. Those ways are hopeless ways. Instead, children, Peter says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You are children of God. Walk like God. Your conduct, your character, your words, your actions, they ought to reflect God. God is holy, so you ought to be holy. Because God is your father. And you know what this is better than? Old, ignorant ways. You are a child of God. You have been brought into the family of God. And you can walk in the light of that identity. You can walk and act like God. You can reflect his character. Peter quotes from Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. You know that book of the Bible, the one at the very front that you always skip because it's really boring. I know what you're thinking. It's, it's hard to read because it's all about here's how you will worship. Here's how you will wash your hands. Here's how you will be ceremonially clean. Here's how you will set yourself apart. Here is how you will be different because you worship a different God. Moses wrote that book and quoted the words of God saying, be holy because I am holy. You are the people of a holy God. So Moses was saying rescued and made into a people by a holy God. So your conduct and your actions ought to reflect that God. They ought to reflect the God who made you into a people of God. Other people should have been able to look at them and say, what on earth are they doing? They're doing something different from us. They are not worshiping or acting or being like we. They're distinct and set apart. And those people, that people of God should have been able to say, we are the people of a God who is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. We are holy because we belong to a holy God. And the same is true with us. We are the people of God. We belong to the Holy Creator God. He made us into a people and He is our Father. So we will act out of our identity and reflect the character of God. When we set our hope on Him, we do not need to conform to our old ways, our old passions. We can reflect the character of God in our actions. You know, we have the Holy Spirit. God working in us, empowering us, changing our hearts so that we are able to work out the character of God, to grow in us the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God, the character of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are the character of God. These are seen in us because we are the people of God. They are the new ways. If you are discouraged because you you so badly fall back into the old ways, talk to God. Ask the Holy Spirit to grow God's character in you. Ask the Holy Spirit to make your old ways nauseating to you. You only want the new ways. You only want the fruit. And walk with people who are walking this way. Walk with people who have their hopes set on the future grace. When we are tempted to conform or compromise, fall into our own ways or be old ways or be like those around us, stop. Don't be tempted by ignorant ways, but instead walk like God. In our distinct character God is revealed to those who follow old ways. When we walk in a new way, we can walk in a way that is founded on our hope. Fully set your hope be holy. We set our hope and we walk distinctly. But I sense, I sense that you guys need some more external motivation. Peter gives us two factors to think about in regards to the way we walk. He says in 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Friends, fellow children of God, think rightly. You are the children of God, but that warrants no flippancy in the way we act. The one you call Father is the one who is Judge. Judge of the earth, Judge of the universe, Judge of the cosmos. And He does not play favorites. He is not partial. He will by no means clear the guilty. When considering how to walk in this world, whether to capitulate or compromise or be conformed to the old ways, to walk like everyone else because it's a little bit easier, consider who your father is. Your father is the judge. Have you ever sat in a courtroom for a criminal proceeding? It's quiet. The judge walks in dressed for his judicial responsibility in a robe that symbolizes that other aspects of his person, other aspects of his life, hold no sway in his execution of justice. He will be impartial. The judge walks in and there's something palpable that finds its way into your chest. I only know this from sitting on the outside. I can't imagine standing in front of the bench. There's a touch of fear that reminds you, you cannot be flippant here. My conduct matters. The way I walk matters. The way I act matters. Our father is a greater judge. Our father is a perfect judge with perfect impartiality. And if for a moment you consider who you are or who you have been. There should be a concern in your chest that there is a judge who judges perfectly. If you begin to ponder your old passions of ignorance, there should be a twinge of fear. And those old, if those old ways hold a bit of temptation for you, consider the judge. Do not forget who your father is. God is not an accommodating buddy willing to give you a pass. The gravity of God is fearsome. This is akin to the vignette that takes place in the Chronicles of Narnia. When some of the children in that story are to meet the God figure, Aslan, who is a lion. And they're going to be introduced. And the person leading them says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God rightly ought to be feared. Because your past and your capabilities give you reason to be fearful. And do not be mistaken, you are already motivated by fear. When you are tempted to compromise or capitulate, you may not have a right fear of God as judge, but instead an unseemly fear of man. A fear that they would judge you or label you too prudish or buttoned up or insufficiently with it or insufficiently woke or insufficiently aligned. Have the right fear. In your time of exile, conduct yourselves with fear, proper fear. If your hope is fully set, that comes far more easy. Perhaps you say, but I've been ransomed. Saved by Jesus, so I'm good. Peter continues with his second consideration. In verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were ransomed. Consider this, friends. You were ransomed purchased, bought away from those old ways, those ignorant ways, those futile ways, the ways that don't work, the ways that bring pain and hurt and brokenness, the ways that have been passed down like a wretched inheritance from grandfather to father to son to grandson, from grandmother to mother to daughter to granddaughter. It is so Painful to see the same sin, the same brokenness show up generation after generation after generation. The deadbeat dad fathers the future deadbeat dad. The abused becomes the abusers. The ones who can use their words to cut with medical precision pass that skill on to their children. The ones who can fly off on a rampage teach that to their children. Many can trace back an addiction to their ancestors, an anger problem, an adulterous streak, a greed. Those of the broken family, the family of old, they indeed have an inheritance, an inheritance of death and pain. An inheritance that creates little ruts in your mind that become the old former ways that you would so quickly be tempted to fall into. That old way. And Peter says, don't you know that you have been ransomed? Purchased, bought away, away from that family, rescued from that family, rescued from that slavery. That is no longer your lineage. That is no longer your family. That is no longer the necessary way you have to walk. That is no longer your inheritance. You are bound to it no more. You no longer have the inheritance of death, but the inheritance that will be revealed at the revealing of Jesus Christ. Amen? Your inheritance has been exchanged for one that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Because you have been purchased, snatched away, rescued, bought back, ransomed. And Peter says, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This ransom is more costly than all the gold in all the the reserves, than all the value in all the markets. This ransom does not wax or wane with the economy. This ransom does not lose or gain value based on age or history. This ransom was purchased by the most precious thing of all. The God of the universe became a man so he could bleed to purchase you. The creator of the cosmos humbled himself to human form so he could suffer to buy you back. Jesus Christ gave his blood to purchase, to ransom you away from the old ways and give you the new ways. The glorious king of all that was and all that is and all that will be made himself small so that he could be the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. If you dare... Dare be flippant in the way you walk. If you think that holiness is an optional way, ponder how you were bought. Do you really want to squander the use of the blood of the king? Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways, why would you want to go back to the futile ways? Do you feel that? Do you understand that? Do you believe that? There is a right and helpful weight that Peter brings, a stirring clarity to the choice that is presented in temptation and compromise. Be holy because our Father is holy. And he completes his plea with Christ. Verse 20, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God. Who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The plan to use Christ as a ransom for you. That was known by the Trinity, by the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Before the first Adam was laid in creation, God knew that the cross was the plan. Before a single photon of light pierced the darkness, God knew that Jesus would be the light of the world. Before gravity was instated to hold stars together, God knew that it would be Jesus' blood that would ransom people that walked in ignorant ways. Before the first human Adam took his first breath, it was known that Jesus would be the final Adam, would make a new family, and that family would include you. The story of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the purchasing of Jesus was made manifest, was made clear, was finally revealed for your sake so that you would see friends, so that you would see, so that you would catch it. And because of this work and this revealing of Jesus, you are believers in God who is judge and creator and who is your father, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, the God who gave him glory, the God that gave Jesus the name that is above all names and seats him on a throne. That God has included you in his story. Is that good news? That God has included you in his family. That's good news. And why? So that your faith and your hope are in God and nothing else. So that your faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things unseen, so that your faith is in God and your hope, that confident expectation and anticipation that your hope is set firmly on God. That God will one day reveal the God-King Jesus, breaking through the clouds no longer as a suffering servant, but as a victorious king, bringing heaven and earth together, righting wrongs forever, mending brokenness finally, bringing your inheritance that he secured for you on the cross, bringing your resurrected life that he initiated with his own body bringing in all regal authority your sonship, saying you are in me and I am the king. Set your hope on that. That certain future reality. It's true. It's true and it will happen. Do not forget who you are because your identity is formed by your relation to Jesus and he will reveal himself fully and finally And forever. And you can be sure of it. With a greater certainty than you have about anything else in your life. You can be sure that his return will not falter. Set your hope fully on that grace. It will come. He will bring it. Friends, a Monday day will come. That temptation to compromise or capitulate will come. The pull to walk in a way more fitting with your former ignorance will come. There will be days that you feel more and more like you don't belong, that you are indeed in exile, a sojourner in a strange land. Do not try to fit in. Do not try to change for comfort's sake. Set your hope fully on the grace that comes with Jesus. Walk like your father, distinctly holy, The faithful exiles are a firmly hopeful and distinctly holy people because they are of the family of God waiting for the certain revelation of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it's so true that You will reveal Yourself. We can be confident in that. We can set our hope fully on that truth. I pray You would help us understand that that you would encourage our hearts in that truth that you would leave leave us no choice but then to pick of course i want to walk with god of course i want to walk like my father why would i go back to the old ways i've been purchased away from the old ways lord i pray for anyone here that that doesn't that is not ransomed yet that's stuck in ignorant ways stuck in old ways Holy Spirit, change their heart and grab them and help them understand truth. Set their hope on Jesus. Not on all the ways we tend to set our hope that just fail. Holy Spirit, help us as we sing. Help us respond to truth. Help us understand that we sing true words in response to the truth of Scripture. And may it encourage us to set our hope finally on Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.